Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's episode is brought to you by Forever Me Apparel, and I love it because they support the mission of Before You Kill Yourself podcast. Mental health affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. It's very unfortunate, and what's even worse is that no one is talking about it. At forevermeapparel.com, they are open and always looking to help support mental health. They want to supply everything from head to toe. It's always been and always will be about the people. Because without the people, we are just forever nothing. Forever Me Apparel has their newest collection out now. From beanies to shirts to hoodies to bags, they have it all shipped right to your door. You can find it all on forevermeapparel.com. They are doing a free giveaway for a suicide awareness t-shirt to a lucky winner today. Head on over to Forever Me Apparel and tag a friend that could use a suicide awareness t-shirt. They will pick a winner and DM you. Today's guest is Dr. Adrian D. White. Dr. White is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Georgia with additional studies in marriage and family therapy, as well as a certification for Prepare and Rich Premarital Counseling. She completed her doctorate in counselor education and supervision at Mercer University. She holds credentials as a master's addiction counselor, certified anger management specialist, approved clinical supervisor, and a nationally certified counselor. Dr. White has been a Red Cross volunteer for the past three years, facilitating reconnection workshops with services to military personnel and families. Today's episode is a doozy. You're going to love this. We focus primarily on anger management. That's right. How do we stop punching holes in the walls, ladies and gentlemen? How do we stop beating ourselves up? It's so easy to do. How do we stop that? How do I stop that? How do, how do, we, how do we focus on the bigger picture? And so today we talk about how anger is a surface-level emotion, and there are underlying emotions uh, under the anger that if we can click to those, then we can start to have some clarity, calm, and tranquility in ourselves and also bring that to our relationship. And, and we share with you how to manage your anger, right? She talks about how there's always more to your anger Um, And then we even get into how anger is tied to ambiguous loss. And uh, we explain what that is in the episode, and ambiguous loss uh, are those things that aren't tangible. So we get into there. We get into signs of anger. And and I know that um, a lot of times when we think of signs of anger, it just seems obvious. It's obvious that that person. But there's some subtle signs that we are angry. And if we're not aware of it, we, we may think it's something else, right? Um, and, and we have the cure for anger, uh, in this episode and she breaks down, um, people in relationships into two groups. Uh, a lot of times when two people are arguing, a couple is arguing, uh, they're grouped as one person and then the other group, uh, or the other person, uh, has another name. And then how do those two people come together so that they can resolve the conflict, uh, and we get into so many other things uh, of how to cleanse 
your emotional palette. Sometimes we're walking around with energy and emotions uh, from preceding things. We haven't cleansed that palette so that we can show up and be present for whatever we're tending to at this moment. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I always work out first thing in the morning. It's part of me cleansing the palate. Um, and with that, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's jump into the episode. Dr. White, first of all, I don't know if I've had anybody on a podcast with all these letters after their name. <laughs> I mean, you got CEO, PhD, LPC, MAC. I thought the MAC was like a, a football. I played in the MA. I played in the MAC. Uh, then you got CAMS. I thought, I thought it was a drafting system. ACS, NC. You, you got all the things. Well, as you know, Counseling is a very, very diverse field, and people come in with so many different concerns. You know, a master's in counseling is kind of a, a generalist degree. And so the more experience I gain, the more, I guess, knowledge and experience I knew I needed to get. So I know we probably don't have time to go over all of them, but one of them that actually made a a big difference for me personally and professionally is the CAMS and that's a certification as an anger management specialist. And so with that credential, the training talked a lot about techniques and behavior responses to help a person dealing with anger, but it also really kind of normalized this whole thing called anger because you know, it's it's stigmatized. Like, oh, there goes the angry black woman, or there, oh, you're getting angry again. Are you PMS? And there's always something negative attached to anger. And so, one of the things, like I said, personally and professionally for me, with the alphabet soup behind my name, that um, anger management piece, it kind of helped me. Like I said, personally, because I started noticing that there are different tails before I get angry, like my nostrils will flare. And so the more you learn about yourself, the more you can connect with others. But yeah, it's, it's a lot, <laughs> but it's in my humble opinion, biased opinion, it's a good thing to continue to learn and grow and see different ways I can connect with people. Well, and, and what I love about that too, is to let other people know to stay out my way. You see my nostrils flaring. <laughs> You know, you know what this is. You know what's about to happen. So ask me one more question, and then it don't always work either like that. I got to go or <laughs> you got to helpful. go. But somebody got to go. You know, I, I love that that we started off with anger um, for a couple reasons. One is uh, I had someone on a podcast, and uh, and I was asking them because they were talking about things that happened in our childhood, and I and I was like, I, I would, and I asked them. I said. I assume that at some point that anger helped fuel you in some ways. And the response was anger has never helped them uh, create anything or do anything productive. And I found the the opposite. I found that um, anger, uh, the right amount of anger, right, um, has helped me to be constructive uh, at times and, and not always destructive 
what say ye? <laughs> I agree. Like like I said, anger is normal. And the weird thing about anger is that it can't live and breathe without primary emotions. So I don't see anger as a bad or a good thing. I just say it's healthy. If you meet somebody, even say a therapist that says they never get angry, that's somebody I'm going to give a side eye to. So yes, I agree. Anger can motivate you, but what's really behind that anger? So if I think about myself, um, a reason I might get angry is if I'm embarrassed or if I'm uncomfortable, if I feel called out. And so, yeah, those things can make you motivated if you can kind of pinpoint the root of the anger, kind of like a tree. We can't just look at the branches. We have to get down to the root. And that's what those those anger outbursts or comments or behavior, sometimes, like you said, it can be a good thing. But if we don't understand the root, then we're not necessarily going to bear good fruit. Oh, okay. So someone gets angry, right? Right now, uh, a lot of people are getting angry with each other in, uh, in relationships or friendships or uh, even roommates. I was, I was reading something that they were talking about domestic violence being up. And it's not just between couples. It's, uh, you know, uh, violence towards children, but also between roommates. I never really thought about uh, domestic violence being a roommate type of situation. So if someone is angry, and then they're able to identify the root cause, say embarrassment, then where do they go from there? It depends on, I guess, how deep it rooted it is. So if, say it's me, I'm in this roommate conflict, which that's a very interesting point when we think about domestic violence, we usually just, we think about couples, but a lot of people are angry right now, rightfully so. So let's say it's a roommate thing. Because of COVID-19, amongst other things, it's not safe or advised to go out. Whereas any other time I might have, I guess, some outdoor activities that I might normally do or I might go to um, hang out at friend's house, which is ill-advised right now. So now I'm in the house with this person who may have done something to upset me. And I don't have an outlet. And so instead of lashing out or being a passive aggressive patty, well, now I'm going to wash all the dishes except yours and line them up. Or I'm going to drink the milk down to like the last sip because I'm mad at something that you've done. Um, Now it can escalate to either verbal or physical violence. But if I recognize that that anger is actually coming from being embarrassed, then one, I can look at why I'm embarrassed because if I'm embarrassed about something, again, that whole root thing that has to go that has to go a little bit deeper. So what am I embarrassed about? Um, I didn't pay my rent on time. I'm embarrassed because my hours have gotten cut. What is that about? Is it because I feel as though I haven't saved enough money? These are all very personal things that make us embarrassed. So if I walk up to a supermodel and say, you're fat, if they feel good within their self, they're not going to feel embarrassed by my comment. Does that make sense? Everything about anger is personal. It has to do with our experiences, words that make us feel uncomfortable. So individually, it really just depends on what I guess coping skills that I have. I like music personally. So if a good song can kind of take me away 
and give me time to think about it. That's good. Sometimes I need to get outside of my head. So calling a good friend uh, that sometimes help remind me of how awesome I am. That can be a, a temporary cure for embarrassment or things like that. But again, it's it's a very personal thing. Of course, I'm biased as a therapist. My number one thing I want to scream from the rooftop is, let me deal you some hope. Give us a call, shoot us an email, talk to somebody about this if this is not if this is a something that's happening too often. More often than not, you're getting angry. More often than not, you're using words that you regret later. More often than not, you're wanting to put paws on people. It's a good time to reach out to a therapist. I love that idea of more often than not versus always, um, you know, that that whole black and white either or type of, uh, of thinking or phrasing it. It's uh, are you noticing that it's it's more often than not or most of the times or uh, oftentimes uh, to kind of uh, frame the, the behavior. Is there when we talk about uh, managing emotions, we talked about anger and embarrassment. A lot of people, uh, especially students, and I know we're in the summertime right now, but I think this will probably air closer towards the school year. A lot of students end up ending their lives over their grades. And I, I would assume there's like an embarrassment or uh, fear of how their parents are going to respond because of that. How do you, how do you, how do we give them hope when they're out, when the outcome doesn't meet the expectation? Yeah, that, that is a hard one. It's it's really sad, but very true that we're working with students. And like you said, it depends on your program because some programs go all summer long. But as far as parents being kind of conditioned to, hey, we're coming into the summer. What what have you been doing that does put a tremendous amount of pressure on students that does, like you said, increase the, the rates and the likelihood of suicide? I think. That level of embarrassment is something that people unfortunately kind of lock in to tunnel vision, the right now. And so one of the things that off or on the couch, I would want to talk to that person about who's laser focused on this outcome is what's the goal? Uh, because we know depending on what their actual major is or what their career outcome they're looking for is most of my jobs, they're not looking at, well, geez, you got a C in this class and you had to take it over. The end goal is the degree. And so helping them focus on the bigger picture that this might be disappointing, but they can repeat the class or they can get some support. I think that's one of the challenging things just about our culture the American culture in general is that we often have this kind of bootstrapping mentality that it's embarrassing, unnecessary, or a sign of weakness to get help. And I do think that affects our students as well. So much pressure on grades when, like I said, I can't think of any job that I specifically got that went over line for line each grade that I that I had. But when that's all you know, then it, it puts this laser focus on 
this particular outcome. You're right, because I mean, going back to what we were saying in the beginning, like you have all these letters after you, but ain't none of them, ain't none of them grades, none, right? Ain't none of them like uh, you know, A in his class, B in that class. It's it's just certifications, degrees, and and we just assume that you know you did what you what the what the uh, course required for you to get through there, Um, and we're gonna assume the best. We're assuming the best of you, uh, in each of that, you, you know, you did your best in each one of these, uh, A or C, but really it's like you said, and two, it comes down to not just grades. It comes down to experience of like how much experience, uh, does this person have? Cause we know a lot of people who are educated, but like experience, uh, in their field. And, uh, you don't even come close to lacking experience. Um, I see that you've worked with uh, the military personnel and their families. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So on my father's side of the family, most all of the men went into different branches of the military. And that was something that I I kind of toyed with upon completing high school, that idea. And so since I did not serve, I wanted I wanted a way to support the people who support my freedom. And so I volunteer with the Red Cross. Uh, There are services to the armed forces. And so usually after a deployment, they have a ceremony called a yellow ribbon uh, ceremony. And part of what I do with the Red Cross is do... um, we can't technically call it group counseling, but we we provide different groups to talk about possible symptoms they might experience, whether it's uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, s- s- depression, which may include some symptoms that thoughts of suicide. We talk about anger management, which is, of course, one of my favorites. And we also talk about reconnecting with children who've been used to talking to you on a screen or on a phone for a a small amount of time. And now you're in their space and their routine is different. So that's part of the work I do with military personnel. And then I've been fortunate uh, because I am on TRICARE insurance panel that I have saw some veterans um, in my private practice. And of course I have a few veterans in my life. Now, why you said anger management is one of your favorite, why anger management? Why that of all the things that uh, one can specialize in? Why that one? Because anger I found is people are more ready to talk about being angry than they are to talk about being embarrassed, to talk about being disappointed, to talk about being hurt, confused, depressed. And that I think part of that is where our society is set up, especially for men, actually. And so it's ironic that a lot of times when I work with men who may have been recommended to come to me or they say, see that I have that specialty. And it's like, Oh, I've been angry. And I talk to them and they may have some symptoms that look that fit more with anxiety. But even from the time, and uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but from the time you're two, you know, for young men, boys are told don't cry, man up, things like that. And so guys are kind of conditioned that it's okay to get in fights. It's okay to express anger, but it's not okay to say you're disappointed. It's not okay to say you're hurt. 
absolutely. From the from the time I was a kid, um, and you know, I actually I never got the message of don't cry, but I was ignored when I cried. It was um, you could tell that um, there was almost a look of disgust on the faces of the adults um, when when you cried as a as a kid. Uh, for the most part, when I was when I was a you know in kindergarten, I remember I got stung by a bee and I was crying and uh, and that was okay. But um, but as I got older, you definitely picked up from society that you you if you were gonna cry, you either you didn't cry or you had to do that you know somewhere off in the corner somewhere. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not just men, you know, girls are told be a big girl, uh, things like that. But like I said, anger to me is just, it's easier to talk about it. And when you think about different layers of culture, even with us being in 2020 and therapists being on so many different shows, it's still pretty taboo for some cultures. So someone saying I'm going to a therapist, the looks they may get is what's wrong with you? Do you got a do you have a diagnosis? Are you on medication? But if they say, "Oh, I had to go to anger management," it's it's almost like a rite of passage. Like, "Oh, don't mess with Leo. He had to go to anger management. He doesn't mess around." So <laughs> people are more comfortable talking about those things, um, even though, like I said, is that's just the tip of the iceberg. The anger piece is is always more to anger. When and the thing, go ahead. The thing about anger is your body has a reaction to when you're anger angry. So it's it's physiological things that I can talk about as well. You know, whether it's you feel your heart rate increasing. Some of us literally feel hot <laughs> when we're angry. Like I shared earlier, my nostrils flare. So when it comes to deeper emotions, like experiencing um, disappointment or abandonment, people might, it's sometimes harder to talk about what our body does when that happens. But almost everybody, like clockwork, if I said to ask, if I ask, when's the last time you got, you got angry, it's so easy for people to share because that's unfortunately how we're socialized. Like it turns into a funny story. You know, that word disappointment and abandonment, I, I love that you brought that up because I can see uh, in couples and friendships and uh, even thinking about how you were parented of uh, so many feelings of disappointment as you as you look back and you're like, yeah, wow, my parents didn't, tra- didn't prepare me for anything or uh, taught me all the wrong things or whatever. And I think that that is a, a tough emotion to identify that and abandonment because we, we don't have that conversation and that's not something that's part of our uh, vernacular. Uh, are there ways for us to determine uh, or what can cause feelings of abandonment and disappointment? I, I guess I, I think that's the, the question to ask. Sure. I mean, again, that's a very personal thing, but the thing about abandonment, it can be tied to grief, and there's not always a hallmark card for different griefs that people experience. So someone decided not to stay in a relationship. There's usually not a hallmark card for that. Um, 
But that can be what we call an ambiguous loss, where no one necessarily died, but it's a death of an idea. Even losing a job could feel like a form of abandonment. Um, But when we go super deep, which you mentioned, I guess when it comes to like parents and family, again, that's something very personal too. So let's say I, I want to make a decision on if I should make take a job or not. And I'm really, I'm really leaning on this particular parent that I felt like hasn't necessarily been emotionally there for me. And I'm, I'm giving them this opportunity to help me make a life-changing decision and their response is, you know what, you got it. You'll figure it out. That could feel like emotional abandonment. And I think that's what's so hard about mental health and understanding mental wellness is that something that's not a big deal for me might be a huge deal for you. And something that might not be a big deal for you might be earth shattering, might feel like abandonment for me. So unfortunately, having more conversations about different things is really important and really understanding ourselves individually and how we respond to things, taking that time to slow down, to understand how we feel about certain things is really, really important. Having good people in your space, friends, significant others that want to hear you is really, really, really important. Wow. That whole thing about abandonment and the idea of like, you'll figure it out. So many of us have heard that. Oh, you'll figure it out. You know, like, whether it's from your boss, employees, parents, siblings, that idea of you'll figure it out. It, it, I could, I could definitely see how that could feel like uh, abandonment. Like, like you're not going to help me. I'm I'm clear. I'm saying that I need help and you'll figure it out. Like, wow. Um, And the flip side is people may have said that to anyone feeling like they're empowering them. I said, you'll figure it out because I didn't want to taint your experience because I know how brilliant you are, but that doesn't necessarily mean the person will receive it that way. Absolutely. And, and so when we talk about, um, you said ambiguous loss, ambiguous loss. I I feel like there's so much there. Uh, can we unpack that? What, What does that mean? Ambiguous loss. So with ambiguous loss, that basically means that you've lost something that's not tangible. It's not something you can put your hands on. And like I said, I like to call it those things that aren't Hallmark cards. So if a family member passes away, we usually have a gen- a general sympathy card that we can get from Walgreens or wherever. Um, but when you lose an opportunity, that can be considered an ambiguous loss because you, you never know what you could have had, if that makes sense. So say, for example, I'm going after this job and I, and I get the job, but because of COVID, they cancel it. So well-intended family or friends are probably like, oh, it wasn't meant to be. It's in God's hands now. You know, something better is coming out there. But if I've already planned in my mind what this actual experience was going to mean for me, 
if I've already made financial plans for this particular job, what people might not understand is that I could grieve that job that I never had, that opportunity that I never had, just like as a person, so forth and so on from either relationships. Um, we talked about abandonment br- briefly, but betrayal. So say you're in a relationship and you're thinking this person has been faithful and you find out not only have they not been faithful, but they they've had a long term affair. Six, seven months. So this idea of me being with this partner who respects certain boundaries in our relationship, that's the idea of us having a relationship that is physically and emotionally just us. That ideal is now dead. And to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen a Hallmark card that says, hey, I'm sorry that your significant other who you love their dirty draws has now cheated on you. That's an ambiguous loss, whereas well-intended family and friends are saying, hey, it's better that you know now. Um, That person didn't deserve you. You know, we, we all have good intentions of our families and friends, but not understanding the different layers of loss that that person experienced, not just what you can see, but also the things that you can't see. This idea of how I perceive my relationship, how I perceive trust is now dead. Is that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And what's crazy is uh, as you're talking, I was looking up cards for betrayal and job loss, and there are now cards for betrayal and, and job loss. And uh, I mean, they're not by Hallmark. You know, I think that that's not really their brand. Uh, Understandable. (laughs) But they have sympathy cards. You know, you would have to really do some digging or get on Etsy to get specific um, cards for some of the things we would consider ambiguous loss. Wow. They even have cards for inevitable betrayal. Like you you just... Oh, shots are fired out here in these streets. It, it, it's getting rough. But, but uh, yeah, it seems like uh, the people, the industry uh, are, are catching up to these ambiguous losses and acknowledging them and uh, normalizing them on, on some level. Uh, of course, I had to dig deep. I had to go and uh, do a deep web search for those cards. Uh, you're not going to find those in Walmart or Target. Um, but but they're out there. But they're there. They're out there. That's a that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You, now, do you have because you know if somebody's going to an anger management class, uh, usually there's some type of blueprint acronym, something to help people uh, um, frame uh, how to cope with anger management. You know, it's like with an uh, AA. There's like the um, a halt, like. Uh, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired to address? Is, mm. there, is there a similar uh, thing with anger management or blueprint or uh, a, a way that people can progress from one to five? Oh, that's a good question. Um, right off hand, not necessarily. A lot of the work I do with individuals is in with people with anger issues is individual. So I, I haven't done groups in a long time um, because like you said, 
people, the people's anger could vary. And, you know, energy can be transferable. So unless you can screen very carefully what levels of anger people are, it's been more helpful for me to work with individuals one-on-one. So there's not necessarily an acronym that I work from, but I'm sure there are some out there. Now, I, I, I'm just now at the age of 44 coming to grips with the fact that I'm angry. Um, and that I've been angry and I had, I, I didn't really identify it as such. I identified it mostly as like, uh, depressed or hurt or um, uh, anxious, but as I, as I get older, I'm, I'm becoming more in touch with my, my anger. Are there signs of anger that people um, typically aren't aware of? Because uh, I was reading his book, uh, The Road Less Traveled, and mm-hmm. the therapist was identifying that their client was uh, was uh, either not showing up to sessions or showing up late because they were angry. And typically we don't think about anger in, in such a way. We think about it in like a physical, like punching of the wall, yelling, screaming, but not in the uh, omission of oneself or just not showing up uh, for appointments. Uh, are, there, are there other signs of anger that, that we typically wouldn't identify as that person's angry? Sure. And again, that depends on the person, too, because that example you gave is really good because there's so many layers to it. So you're 100 percent right. And usually when I'm working with people with anger, we kind of talk about some of the anger styles. And so TV media talks about the overt expressions of anger, like you mentioned, but passive aggressiveness. So avoidance. Uh, purposely being laid are signs of anger, could be signs of anger. They also could be signs of anxiety. So when you mentioned, you know, trying to differentiate from, is this anger or is this depression? Is this anxiety? Is this fatigue? Sometimes it's all, sometimes it's only one. So that's the tricky thing, the symptoms of anger and other, I guess, symptoms can overlap. So you can be angry and silent. Those are the people who can be scary. And so we kind of call them stuffers, the people who get quiet and kind of, quote unquote, just take it. I think most of us know at least one person who it just seems like they get very eerily quiet when things are happening. And so that unfortunately can be a sign of anger. Um, But it also could be a sign of depression, oversleeping, overeating could be signs of anger. Because, again, we're stuffing down these emotions, these feelings that we feel like we can't control down. And, again, they overlap with depression as well. I love that you brought up oversleeping and overeating as signs of depression, because I think that for the most part, we just chalk up overeating to anxiety or mm-hmm. just uh, depression um, or a lack of willpower. But uh, never had I really thought about overeating as something that could be tied to anger. Uh, but I guess that, that that would go into the realm of emotional eating, right? If you're angry, you're happy, whatever it is. Absolutely. Because you're activating the same, I guess, 
fight or flight response, whether you're angry or anxious. So our body doesn't know the difference between you being angry or in a life or death situation, you being anxious or you being in a life or death situation. And so the blood that's usually going to our fingers and toes, it's the blood that's usually going actually to our brain and to our stomach to process that donut I had for breakfast. Now it's going to my fingers and toes so I can either run like heck or fight like heck. And that's either if I'm mad or if I'm anxious or nervous about something or for my students, if a test is coming up, the test not is not even today, but it's coming up. It could activate that fight or flight response. And for some people, it makes you feel like you're already full. So some people lose their appetite or some people, their appetite increase because they've they've activated this fight or flight response and their body is tired and burnt off so much energy and it needs some more. So when, when someone's feeling disappointed, say uh, in a relationship, right, we, we click mm-hmm. back the layers of anger and they recognize that, wow, I just feel really disappointed. You said you were going to show up or, mm-hmm. or you said you were going to do something and mm-hmm. you didn't do it. And now I'm disappointed uh, in you, especially we see this in relationships or friendships. Um, how do you communicate? I think part of what feeds anger, especially for me, what I, when I look back, Part of what fed my anger was uh, realizing I'm angry and uh, realizing I'm disappointed, but feeling like I, I didn't know how to communicate it in a way that wouldn't destroy the relationship further. Does that yes. make sense? Absolutely. So you reminded me of something when you shared that. So I can't think of any anger acronyms, but we have a lot of cliches, and one of them is that the angriest person is the person who feels most unheard. And that is so true. When you feel like your back is up against the wall and you can't communicate the way you need to, to be feel effective or to be heard, that perpetuates anger so much. And so what you describe is, is very, very accurate. Unfortunately, it happens all the time. And that's basically the, the cure to anger is effective communication. And so we look at kind of the scales. So passive is when someone is feeling something about feeling disappointed, feeling hurt, feeling abandoned, feeling taken advantage of, and they physically do or say nothing. Or then we have the passive aggressive communication style where I'm trying to communicate to you that I'm upset, but I'm not going to tell you directly. I'm going to try to tell you through my actions. So if we're in a relationship and I'm feeling like you said you were going to pick me up and you didn't and I end up having to get a ride instead of me communicating that with you, I got a ride. I Ubered. I did what I need to do. But guess what? Now, when I cook tonight, I'm cooking just for me. And then the sweet spot is assertive communication where you can talk about your experience, like what you felt or how a certain behavior made you feel and try to get a solution or at least give yourself the opportunity to be heard. And so the tipping point is how can you be assertive and not aggressive? And that's when, you know, we're saying or doing things to physically or verbally act out our disappointment versus being direct and about how an experience made us feel because like we talked about earlier sometimes 
most of the times it's not it's not the sender's intentions to make us feel disappointed, abandoned, things like that. But if we don't communicate that in an assertive way, in a direct way, it can basically cause a cycle of anger and disappointment and hurt. Yeah, because a lot of times what we get into is a you said, but you said, and but you said, right? It's this back and forth thing of, of what someone said versus what they're saying. We, we get we get caught in the past, and, and we don't take time to just uh, be present and ground ourselves in in the moment uh, in a moment's communication. When we talk about uh, effective communication, and and a uh, person saying, "All right, well, I felt disappointed." I could also see the other person go, "Well, I felt disappointed." <laughs> like, it, like a, a lot of it is so much back and forth. How do like for couples? Because I know that you also, um, uh, are, <laughs> you know, you got you got you got letters for premarital be- yes. uh, counseling and therapy. How do we stop that back and forth? What what's oh, the what's the goodness. key? What I help t- talk to me. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's an interesting point you make there. The whole communication, the back and forth, it's, couples is is a big thing. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. But in general, effective communication, where it's not creating a back and forth, you have to be ready for it. So I'll try my best to start with couples when it comes for my work with couples. My experience is that there's usually a runner and a chaser in a lot of couples, which makes communication kind of difficult. So you have a person who outwardly, it looks like they're running away from a difficult conversation, but that's because they're the person who's the thinker that needs time to think about what they're going to say so that they can compose their self, their thoughts, and communicate effectively. Those are sometimes the people who aren't good on the fly. That's my runner. And then we have the chaser who's like, no, we need to talk about this right now. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to IHOP. I don't want to go anywhere until we talk about this. And they're usually chasing the person either physically into the next room, like, hey, we got to talk about this, chasing them out the door uh, to get some resolution and they're the person who's good at talking about their their thoughts and their feelings on the fly. And so that's understanding that kind of helps create a groundwork when working with couples or just, you know, if you're in a couple thinking about or conceptualizing, how is this going to work? How are we going to communicate effectively? So a little, I guess, trick that I use is when I found that there's a runner and a chaser in the in the couple that we kind of come up with a realistic deadline to have a conversation and they usually have what I call a safe word. So, you know, sometimes people <laughs> in the bedroom have safe words like pineapples or what have you for when something's too much. And so I think with couples, that's important too. So, gauging when someone's ready or in a good space to talk about something. And so I've been very fortunate to have 
couples that have been willing to take this journey with me. I've had safe words like mac and cheese or Ray Donovan, and that's their way, the, I guess, Chaser's way of asking the runner is, are you ready to have this conversation? Because if one person is ready and the other is not, that that makes it a, a breeding ground for miscommunication and that back and forth. Well, I feel, I feel, well, I felt and I felt. And then we have just some, I guess, simple techniques when we're talking to somebody about how they feel. One, no one can make you feel anything. We feel certain things based on our experiences. And so if I wanted to communicate with my significant other that, you know, I felt disappointed about something, I have to own my feelings. I can't say you made me disappointed because you did not take my car to get the oil change. But I can own that I felt disappointed because I was hopeful that he would follow up on getting my oil change. And again, if he's having a great day and something awesome happened at work or he just beat his top score on the PlayStation for me to come in and say, you know, I'm really disappointed in you. So timing is key. Um, and that's basically depending on the type of couple it is, how I when I work with couples, I try to gauge. But these are things that people can do without therapy to, to kind of gauge if you have a significant other who's usually ready to talk about things right, right away or if they're needing some time in preparation. Because anxiety, having anxious feelings alone can cause an argument. If I'm thinking things well and you come and tell me that I've I've let you down, that anxiety might drive the conversation versus, hey, you know, I do want to talk about something with you later. You know, let me know when you're ready for a mac and cheese or, you know, if that's that cold word for a talk, then that kind of gives me time to emotionally prepare for it. Now, I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's so valuable to say, you know, I feel a certain way and to take ownership for feelings instead of blaming the other person for how we feel. Because uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that if I feel disappointed, it's because I felt disappointed so many times in my past. And then and now this has uh, triggered that or reactivated. But it was already there. The feeling of disappointment was already there for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, definitely. I, I, now, let me, I want to ask you this because I, I was noticing this uh, last night actually. Um, I was, I'm reading Malcolm X and I knew I shouldn't have been reading Malcolm X before bed because it's not like a happy bedtime story, you know? No, it's not. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not the thing. <laughs> it's not, it's not the thing that you would read to your children, right? Um, and uh, I, I'm reading this book and I, I was, you know, I was angered by uh, what was taking place and what he was like, his anger, you know, I triggered my anger. And then I realized I went down a spiral of thinking of, of moments where I felt angry and, uh, you know, disempowered also. Is that the um, danger of media, music, certain things in that, uh, if you're listening to a song or watching a movie where there's anger or trauma, then it triggers 
the moments in your life when you felt angry and, and, and traumatized? Is that what's happening? Absolutely. I mean, music, media, they're all very, very, very powerful. And I mean, we have so much more to go on research just thinking about it. I can't remember which country, but that's why they have it. I want to say in Japan that under the age of 12, they're not letting the children have iPads other than for educational purposes. So there's so many layers to that. What we read, what we put in our body isn't just food. So even talking to people who have negative messages, which could be people that we love, i.e. family members, can influence how we communicate with other people, can trigger anger for us that we're not necessarily aware of. So definitely music, what we read, even the, the memes, I'm a big meme connoisseur that we read can color the way we receive messages and the way we feel about certain things. So should we not, are we supposed to like not listen to music and uh, watch (laughs) movies? Like how do we, how do we process that? Um, uh, One of the things that uh, my girlfriend and I do when we're watching something is uh, we'll pause it and, and talk about it. Um, uh, like we're watching the last dance, uh, Michael Jordan's, uh, mm-hmm. or the Bulls documentary. And, um, I forget what was happening, but we paused and was like, you know, what would you do? And what would I do? Like we kind of processed it with each other. That's, that's how we like to, to consume it. Um, and, and even with Ozarks, there was so much happening in Ozarks and, uh, so many crazy decisions, uh, that were being made, uh, you know, between the, and no, no, uh, no spoilers. Don't worry. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but that, that were made in, uh, the relationship. And so I would pause it and be like, would you do that? You know, uh, would I do, you know, like we, we, we have these conversations to kind of check in with each other. Uh, but so our, like, we can't, we can't walk the earth untriggered, right? Like Absolutely. it's just, uh, with billboards and music and, and all the, you know, your family members sending you all types of crazy news. And my mom gaslighting me every, every Tuesday. I don't know what it is about Tuesdays. Uh, well, the world is not devoid of negative things, period. So it's, it's not like I'm suggesting we just avoid any movies or shows with violence or any, you know, songs that are saying negative things. It's just, I guess handle with care. So I like McDonald's every now and then, but I'm not going to eat McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, all day. So what things we're putting in our body, whether it's food or spiritual, like the music we're listening to, the movies we watch, just keeping them, keeping it in our mind that they can't affect how we see the world and how we view things. And then, you know, even after I have a session, I'm going to I'm going to basically cleanse my emotional palate. So I'm not taking in my conversation with client X into client Y. So if you know you listen to something that's kind of heavy, then maybe give yourself a few moments of silence and think about or think about 
something positive. If you know that you like to listen to music that's talking about smacking someone upside the head and punching them with the butt of your gun, then maybe, like you said, with the Malcolm X book, maybe that's not something you you want to listen to as soon as you wake up or right before you go to bed. So just, like I said, handling with care. So knowing what things feel good for you that are motivating to you and knowing what things affect your psyche and your emotions and putting them in their proper place and having barriers for your, your sacred time. Like when you start your day, that that is special time. How you start your day can help navigate how the rest of your day is going to go and how you end your day is significant, too. So that's all I would say about that. We don't live in a vacuum or in a tunnel where we can be untouched by the ugliness of the world. And unfortunately, that would actually make it even worse if we tried to create a space where we had no idea of all the bad, because then we wouldn't be prepared for it emotionally or physically or whatever that looks like. I hope that's helpful. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm fortunate that me and my girl do not, we do not watch the news at all. Uh, We do read it, but, you know, we don't get all that yelling and screaming, carrying on back and Mm -hmm. forth that you see on CNN and uh, the other news outlets. So we we definitely try to limit it in that uh, capacity. And, um, and we try to wake up and we both work out in the morning, you know, it's kind of like we do a little something for ourselves before, uh, when we wake up and then, uh, even before bed, uh, you know, we'll stretch or, uh, watch something funny, um, you know, and and lighthearted, uh, before we go to bed. And then of course I read Malcolm X, which triggers it all over. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not, it's not a flawless system. It's not, you know, listen to something that's, gonna kind of get you in a more relaxed mood whatever that looks like to you um now is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would help people who are struggling to manage their emotions manage their anger are there any strategies or tools or or things that you think would be beneficial yes and no so I have all of these ideas and tips that I think are helpful. How you manage your stress has got to be an individual thing. One of my personal experiences with being a therapist is so many times people have come to me inundated with, well, you know, Dr. Phil said this, and this theologian said that, and this person said that, and Ayana said, this will fix my life. But you really have to take the time to get to know you. So for you and your girlfriend, for example, working out is amazing in the morning. Some people in the morning, waking up is the last thing that they want to do. But they could paint in the morning if that makes them feel good. Or going for a walk, a very brief walk, is something that might be good for them. I tell my clients, and friends sometimes, I don't care if it's picking boogers for five minutes, if that makes you feel relaxed. It has to be something unique and special for you. It has to be something that makes you feel good, not just this idea of checking a box because someone said on this amazing podcast that if you listen to Mozart in the morning, that that's going to help you be less stressed. You have to figure out things that make you feel good. Now, I can give 
some things that has been helpful to myself or clients in the past, um, aromatherapy, something super small, lavender, mint, infusing different smells in your life. Um, when you're feeling stressed has been helpful for some people. It's been annoying as hell for others. So it has to be something personal and it's not a one size fits all. So I shared earlier, music is my love. I have probably the worst singing voice ever, but singing in the shower is something that kind of gets me motivated for the day. I kind of rotate it maybe every three weeks, my kind of morning mix of music that I listen to like in my morning routine when I'm getting ready to start my day, that's something that feels good for me. It might annoy the hell out of somebody else. And I just want to normalize that what might work for your significant other, what might work for your dad or your sister may not work for you. And that's not a bad thing. That roommate that I'm hopeful now that you listen to this, you don't want to choke them anymore. What works for them might not work for you. But having an accountability partner, someone who loves you and cares enough about you to check in, who will say to me, hey, Adrian, had you listened to your morning mix today or have you ate something? I know that sometimes you like to skip lunch and it seems like you're getting a little hangry. It's important to have people in your circle, in your space that loves you and care enough about you that you can tell them that you need them to hold you accountable to doing um, at least one self-care item a day. And that could be a bubble bath. It could be candles. It could be skating. It just has to be something that you like to do. I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. White, for taking this time out to be on the podcast. Last question. I ask this of all my guests. Because always imagine there's one person listening who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Dr. White? It's not true. Whatever depression is telling you, it is not true. This world and we will not be better off without you. It is not true. Thank you so much, Dr. White. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you reaching out to get help. For you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number 273-TALK. For you, if you're going to see a therapist, you can go to go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Please, Dr. White, tell people where they can find you. You can find us at Hope Dealer ATL on Instagram or www.thehopedealeratl.com. Thank you so much, Dr. White. Thank you for having me. As a reminder, today's episode was brought to you by Forever Me Apparel. They are doing a free giveaway for a suicide awareness t-shirt to a lucky winner today. Head on over to Forever Me Apparel and tag a friend that could use a suicide awareness t-shirt. They will pick a winner and DM you. Forever Me Apparel has their newest collection out now. From beanies to t-shirts to hoodies to bags, they have it all shipped right to your door. You can find all of it on forevermeapparel.com.